Welcome to ConX. Uh, ConX is a podcast for construction executives. Uh, and this morning, I'm, I'm sitting here with my friend Mark Hill. And Mark, I'll let him introduce himself and kind of go through his background. Mark is an extremely humble guy, so I'm going to ask him not to be humble here and tell us. <laughs> to, Mark, to just kind of walk through, um, you know, who you are now, what's your position, and tell me kind of, Tell me your story from, you know, where you grew up all the way to where you are now. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, I appreciate you all inviting me to this. I've never done a podcast, so it's pretty exciting. Uh, my name's Mark Hill. I'm the uh, vice president and region leader for our Lexington office. Uh, I've been with Messer for 32 years now, so pretty much my whole career. I came from a little different path. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I came to UK in the civil engineering program. Uh, but my family, I'm from the Corbin area, Corbin, Kentucky area. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all in the coal business. Mm-hmm. So this was in the early 80s. Coal business was booming. I was sitting up here in college and watching them be successful. So I quit college and went back home. Uh, my uncle owned a large strip mining company. So I started blasting for mm-hmm. him. Found out working for family is not always the easiest thing to do. <laughs> is that the truth? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad owned a fleet of coal trucks that hauled all the coal, so I started driving a truck for him. Luckily, he had the foresight to see the coal business. was There's a lot of changes, mm-hmm. regulations being made. And so he kept trying to get me to go back to school, and I wouldn't listen to him. I'd since got married, uh, was making really good money, and... I came home from work one day and he said, I sold your coal truck. You're going back to school. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So so I did. My wife was from the Cincinnati area. Mm -hmm. uh, So I I needed to go somewhere that had a really good Mm co-op program so I could work and make some money since I was married. And uh, so I went back, I went to Cincinnati to school and that's how I got connected with Messer. I started co-oping in 1985 and started full-time in 87. What did Messer look like in '85 when you when you started? Yeah, very very different than today. Um, we we were very um, we, the only office we had was Cincinnati mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and when when I started full time, I came down here in '87. That was really what got Messer to open an office in Lexington. We were we were building the Toyota plant at the time, mm-hmm. so we had came to Lexington, did a job, leave. And when we came to do the Toyota plant, we really got introduced to the subcontractor market and some design firms and decided we, and we opened office in 1988. So, uh, was it, as it been, did you guys have an office here in Lexington, like where it currently is or was no, it somewhere else? Uh, we were right downtown and moved around a few little, few little areas for a few years. And then, uh, we landed, I don't remember exactly what year, but the, the two story house right beside of us here we were in for several years mm-hmm. and then we had this place built so uh, well um let's kind of jump in it, it so you've talked a little bit about uh messer uh can you get any kind of a for someone who doesn't know what messer mm-hmm. is or what they do can you give us a, a broad-based perspective on it yeah uh, so we're a con- commercial construction company that really focuses on large complex very diverse type of projects. We do anything from churches to casinos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot in between there. Uh, 
We're very regional based, which is a little different for uh, contractors of our size. So we operate in, we're now located in five states, 10 cities. Uh, so we're in Kentucky, uh, Ohio, Indiana, Tennessee, and North Carolina. And our, our newest office, our 10th office that we opened last year is in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, wow. But we're very, very regional based. So we sort of operated our own little company in each city that we're in. Mm -hmm. And we do that for a reason because we believe in, uh, we believe that people should be able to go home to their families overnight. So we don't like mm -hmm. traveling people around. We try to keep from having to do that. And then we also are very involved in the community. Um, uh, we gave, uh, I think, right around $2 million in 2018 to different community nonprofit organizations. So for us to make sure that we got people living and participating in the community is something that's really important to us. We're a general contractor and construction manager and do design build as well, so a little bit of flexibility. Do you guys do? Do you guys have a design section of your company too, or do you guys we do go not. outside for that? Yeah, if we, if we do design build, we we go team up with somebody mm -hmm. that specializes in whatever type job that is. Could you say publicly what the revenue is for the company? I mean, is that uh, no? Oh dollars? yeah. Uh, this this year we're going to do approximately. I think it's right around one point two billion dollars. Wow. And you you asked me a while ago what it looked like. So when we when we purchased the company in nineteen ninety, the employees uh, we were doing right almost a hundred million dollars worth of work, and and now we're one point two. That's they, incredible. So it's a lot I mean, of growth. A lot of growth. So, it is, has the culture changed much at at Messer since um, since you've gone from a hundred million to a billion dollar company? I, I mean, some just because of the growth mm -hmm. and being in different locations. I think, but our core values have not. And what are your core values? I, you know, we are very much. We consider ourselves a growth from within company. Mm -hmm. So we. Our structure is to get co-ops and let them, internships, co-ops, and let them work in our company mm -hmm. and see how they're going to like it, I'll see how they're going to perform, and then they grow up in the company. And that's how, and I, when you meet most people in, in uh, Messer, you'll hear them say, well, I've been with the company 20 years, 25 years, mm -hmm. 30 years, and uh, most of them co-opt with Messer. Not all of them, but... A lot of well, I, I think it's interesting when you talk to when you talk to a lot of people who work for Messer. It seems like you, you said like the the number of years they worked. Mm -hmm. I would even with with younger people, I am surprised because you know the average is about for younger people they have they work with six different companies over their career, and wow. it seems like the people that within Messer that's not the case. At least that's my experience with mm -hmm. talking with people. It seems like if if they come to work with you as a co-op, they end up staying on board in mm -hmm. fact i don't know of anybody who's can work for messer that didn't end up uh from college didn't end up landing with messer we, we've had a few that just mm -hmm. you know wasn't a fit for but very very few you know it usually works out really well for us and uh, it's something that uh, we're pretty proud of so you said your core focus i mean you, it sounds like you guys build a lot of different stuff but i always thought of messer as building like healthcare stuff to do with the university 
but it sounds like you guys do. I didn't even well Cincinnati. I guess that makes sense casino because a casino there. <laughs> but but is there a, a core focus industry wise or is there? They are, and we've we've continued to expand that some just so we've got flexibility. You know, if if you have a downturn in an economy, what we found out back in two thousand seven or eight, whenever that was, is by us having a lot of flexibility. It really didn't affect us as much as it did a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So our our core focus is segment has been higher education and healthcare, as you mentioned. Uh, but in the recent years, we've gotten really busy and specialized in aviation. So we've got a lot of really a lot of airport work going on uh, in several of our regions. Um, industrial is something that Messer used to do a lot of back when it was a family-owned company. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a lot of power plants, and we'd sort of gotten away from that, and we've gotten back into trying to do more more industrial. Um, Are you guys strictly vertical, or do you do horizontal, do roads and bridges? And no, no, no Just roads. vertical, pretty yeah, much? Pretty okay. much all vertical. And then our two newest uh, market segments is uh, science and technology and uh, federal and military. Uh, we've got some regions that uh, we've started to get a lot of work, specifically mm-hmm. the Dayton region and the and the military and the right path. Right stuff. path, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think? What events do you ha- have you had in the history of Messer that's really shaped who you guys are today? I mean, you mentioned one real quick, like you went from a, you know family owned company to a, to a you know employee owned company. Was there Tell us about that, and then tell us also about it. Was have there been any other like major events that have kind of changed the direction of? That's really the one, and in this the story of Messer. Messer started in 1932, mm-hmm. so it's been around wow. for a long time. Uh, was a family-owned company, and in in the late 80s, 1990. Uh, we became an employee-owned company. And really what was happening is there was only one family, Messer family person that was left in the company. And and our executives was just getting concerned of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they could sell. And so they come to all employees and ask them, if, would you be willing to take your, your profit sharing and turn it to stock? And and we did in 1990. And it was a, it was a big change. It was some you know, there was some nervous people about it. I was pretty young in the company, so yeah. at that time I didn't even realize probably <laughs> yeah. what was going on. But you know, everybody was on board with it, and it's really been a great thing for us. So we're a hundred percent employee-owned company. So does um, how you know? Do you have a your? I don't know who your president is currently, but it went from uh, so the owner was the president at that point in time. Actually, oh, what? Oh, really? <laughs> it was a little odd. He was just a, I think his title was a senior project executive, the mm-hmm. the Messer family person. So the leaders in our company stayed as the leaders once mm-hmm. we became an employee-owned company. So has there any many, like, when you look at it from a, a high-level perspective, I mean, like from when you came to the company to now, uh, the different presidents have, you know, I always think it's interesting, like, leaders of organizations uh, have a role. You know, mm-hmm. there are some people who are growth leaders, you know, and there's right. some people who are maintainers and that kind of stuff. Um, it, do you remember any of that in the culture that when you 
grew up in the company that you know this president was here and led us through this yeah. this generation yeah uh and fortunately for me um you know i've, I've had the opportunity to to work with some pretty amazing people. And we've not had many. Uh, Pete Strange was the president and the CEO when we brought the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a very dynamic uh, speaker, leader, that really was the one that had the vision of the ESOP and structured all that. And, um, you know, so he was something, somebody that was well-respected in really the, the community of Cincinnati, for sure, and is still involved. Uh, and then Tom Kekas became the president and CEO, and he just retired at the end of oh, September. Really? So when did, when did he take over? Do you remember what year it was about? I do not. I mean, it was probably five years ago or so. Yeah. Um, so Tim Staggerwall is now, he just became the president and mm-hmm. CEO. He was, he was a senior vice president of the company. So and he's one. All three of those people co-opt with Messer. And oh, that's incredible. You don't yeah. see that. I, I yeah. mean, with other companies, you don't see that. That's, yeah, that's sure pretty did. incredible. Yeah. Um, so do, have you had, well, you mentioned one game changer uh, in your business, and that was the transition from family owned to a company owned has there been any other any other game changing events for Messer as a company I I think that the two that I would probably point out is number one's our safety department mm-hmm. um, you know back probably 10 years ago we decided to get serious with safety and we so we structured a, a, a safety department and really spent a lot of time of trying to Focus the growth of that and 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 have that support out. What led that? What did you guys just decide that it was such a important thing, or did you guys have an incident? Because like most companies have incidents, and then they decide, hey, this is something we should look at. You know, to be honest with you, I don't remember if there was. I, I don't remember any incident. I think it was just it was becoming more and more important to our owners, and we finally realized how important it was. To us, and to make sure that all of our employees were going mm-hmm. home to their families every day, and, and we had always made it a high pro- priority. But we, at that point, we made it a focus. Yeah, and you know, you know, the uh, most people don't realize the value, and and looking at it from a, you know, high level construction executive, workman's comp premiums mm-hmm. are you know drive a lot of costs there and when you no longer have those costs that dollar value drops to the bottom line and so companies i think most especially large companies realize that's a huge uh you know net profit gainer there if you can run a successful you know or as a safety program absolutely and when you just look at the risk on the job sites especially with construction it's one of it's one of the uh, highest risk on the job site and then the second one was, was actually another department, is our economic inclusion. Uh, we, we decided, and again, we always had that as a core value to try to have diversity on all of our job sites, but we decided we're going to go hire somebody that's going to truly take this and lead it. And, and we went and hired Stan Williams as the vice president that uh, then developed his own department that was able to support all the regions in driving economic inclusion. And just an example of this year, we're going to have 18% inclusion on the company-wide, mm-hmm. spend $171 million with certified minority and women-owned companies. Oh, wow. wow. And to us, that's 
you know, that's really important. Well, and I know you guys have always been active in, in the Lexington area because, I mean, I had taken part of the women and minority contractors, and you guys have been a right. key, you know, key contributor, a key, you know. Um, and uh, I, w- I was just reading an article recently. They say only 7% of all workforce in construction is women. And that's what I'd have to say is pretty significant about Messer is um, – you know, we've had women come through the program and such a small percentage of women come through the program, but it seems like there's only a few companies that these, you know, I, I call them girls because they're much younger than I am, but but these women that go through that end up going to these, oh, and there's only a few of those companies and Messer happens to be one of the large ones. And I and I think about it uh, and I think to myself, well, wh- why is that? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think you... As a company, and I can say this for Messers, it seems like you guys have made a tangible effort to make that a, a focus and say, hey, we want to open open those doors. And then not just that, too. Um, well, one of the young ladies that came and worked for you guys, uh, outstanding performer, um, and you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, she just says the work environment is just, she's treated like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing. When she said that to me, I thought thought to myself, "Well, isn't that the way it's supposed to be?" But then I also got to remind myself, we're in construction. Yeah, yeah. And it not ha- hasn't always been that way. And that's and the fact that you know I've heard many different horror stories about the uh, way you know women have been treated, you know, in construction sites around the world. And I thought it was interesting that she said that. You know, it, I've never had to deal with that. And I thought that was really significant. Yeah. You know, um, especially you're not only dealing with your company, but you're dealing with All the subcontractors. Yeah. So you got to have really strong culture there. And they got to right. understand that, hey, we, this is the way we do business. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and there's some, you know, the, the females that work for us are some of the uh, highest flyers in our company, really. And we talked a little bit before it started about Emily Edgerton and then. She just got promoted to project executive in our company and is now in the senior management group. And it's you know pretty exciting to watch her be able to grow through the company. Oh, you de- you guys definitely have winners in that category, no question. You yeah. know, uh, you guys do a good job at that. Um, so, what you guys get? Do you guys have uh, uh, a five year plan? We do. Yeah. I've what does actually, that look like? I've actually got it right here in front of me. <laughs> Yeah, we, we developed this last year, and we're calling it our five-year strategic plan, so it's from 2019 to 2023, mm-hmm. and, and we've got several goals in it, but uh, the overall goal is for us to have $1.8 billion worth of capacity to do that kind mm-hmm. of work in, by 2023, and, and we've got all kinds of goals to get us there um how'd you guys what was the process like to go to get because i know i mean there's people who do nothing but just help companies do strategic planning do you guys just all meet together is it a, is it just one meeting is it a series of meetings mm-hmm. or we spent we spent a good year um on it and we did have a firm that was helping us mm-hmm. with work through it uh we engaged uh, not only the executives but also the senior management group Went out and did a lot of research, and uh, so we spent a good part of the year before we said this is. 
And, you know, people don't think about how complex that actually is. It's not yeah. just saying, hey, my goal is to be a $1.8 billion company. There's you got to say, is the market there to support it? Right. You know, so there's a lot more that goes into it. And I guess that would work for smaller companies. But a company your guys decide, you guys got to do a lot of due diligence there. Well, we do. And, and that is one of the reasons we're structured the way we are with the different regions. Because mm-hmm. with us being an employee-owned company, we've got to... We've got to be able to give the new individuals coming in our company mm-hmm. the same opportunity to grow that Mark Hill had to grow. Mm-hmm. And for us to be able to do that, and there's all kinds of different ways that you can do that, but the way that's worked for us so far is opening new offices. And we're, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, because it's a lot of hard work to go up in the office, and it's not easy, and, you know, it's... It's basically start, like starting a brand new company. <clears throat> It I mean, really is. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It is. And, and I mean, the only advantage you guys have is you guys have a lot of, you know, the resource pool. But you go into an area, people are people are not familiar with you. What I think is, is a lot of companies will just go to an area and not even open an office and do work there. Mm-hmm. But I know that if I live in Lexington and I have a company come in that is going to come in to do the, do a job, um, they're not really committed to this area or whatever, but right. you guys, I think that's probably one of your guys' models. That, hey, you want to show you're committed to a community in an area. Absolutely. And uh, and obviously, we're in a relationships game here, so yep. um, numbers have a lot to do with it, but getting the job done is probably <laughs> just as important, if not more important. Yeah, because yeah. you'll get a reputation real quick, and if you're performing well and you're building good relationships with uh, the community and the subcontractors, then it's really what makes you be successful. So what are the pieces of, you know, because revenue is one of the pieces of your five-year plan. What are some other pieces of, like, a, you know, a str- your five-year strategic plan? Uh, we've got uh, investing in our people, so we've put together some new programs. One of them we're calling the Emerging, Emerging Leaders Program, mm-hmm. uh, where we're bringing in some folks that we target to be future executives in the company and try to maybe speed up their growth. Um, so it's a program that we put together. So that's that's one of them. Another one I touched on a little bit earlier was expanding our core market segments, and that was adding the fe- federal mm-hmm. military and, and the science and technology, and we've already started started getting work in that. Um, investing in industrial-related businesses. Uh, so we've now purchased a new company, e- mm-hmm. EGC, uh, is a smaller company that does uh, pretty much all industrial work that we thought uh, would be a good opportunity to help us grow our industrial Where are they site. at? They're in know. northern Kentucky. Okay. Located in northern Kentucky. Uh, and they've got a lot of uh, a lot of history, a lot of uh, similar owners that we were already doing work for, so it just really was a really good oh, fit that's for neat. us. That's neat. So, I think it's what the emerging leaders thing, I think, is... Uh, 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 the only thing I want to comment on that one is if you look at most companies are not thinking about this, but you look at the pure demographics of the workforce. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of 50 plus year olds, you know, and you have a lot of 30, late 20s and 30s, and there's a big gap there, yeah. you know, and um, 
and people say, ah, that's not that significant. Well, when when you guys and I, you guys are, uh, I guess you are on the tail end of the baby boomer generation, right? Fifty to sixty, right, right in there. I hate that. I don't want to age you, but well, <laughs> but, no, no, that's about right. So uh, I mean, but when they 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 factor, you know, that when they retire and move out, now all of a sudden you have a huge, you have a lot, lot of a lot more young leaders. Yeah that have to be thrust into a lot larger positions and uh that's a that's going to be a real challenge um for the industry as a whole so i happen to be in the generation that is kind of between mm-hmm. i think it's advantageous but for a company i see that it's going to be very very difficult you know and i see it with my own company too you know i have a lot of younger people but there is some big gaps there and if you don't yeah. um I guess you guys are recognizing that early. We are. We spend a lot of time every year just looking at that and make sure we're planning. Because if you, you know, if you're located in ten different offices, that's something important. And one thing I've not mentioned, and true to what you're saying, is also we self-perform a lot of work still. And what do you guys self-perform? Mostly concrete. You know, we like to do our own concrete mm-hmm. foundations, vertical concrete. Um, uh, rough blocking, a lot of that carpentry type mm-hmm. work, um, and then we've got we we'll self perform some other just specialty stuff on certain jobs sometimes. Why did Messer decide to do that? Is that something they've always done or always, always have? We've looked at it multiple times to say, do we want to keep mm-hmm. doing this? And we always come back to war builders, and we we think it's an advantage that we still self-perform a piece of the work uh you know especially with the foundations it lets you get the project off on a good start and control that piece of the schedule and so you know and it seems like i i go back to i started in early the early 90s and it seemed like at that point in time people were going away from self-performance so all these can Construction managers just said, "Ah, we we want to just be a management group," a lot and that seemed to be the model, you mm-hmm. know. And so they start getting rid of their self-performance pieces or whatever. And then it seems in the last, I'd probably say after two thousand eight or so, because you know, times got tough, that people are starting to think now. Well, instead of maybe we should pull that back in because that gives us a competitive advantage, you know. So, um, mm. and you're right, the whole concept of being a builder. Um, People want to know that you're actually going to put hands in the dirt, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. So that, that's pretty special to us. But where I was heading a while ago, and I got off track a little bit, but the is the age thing because a lot of our craft is in the same boat as what mm-hmm. you said. They're they're getting in the fifties, sixties, and so we've been trying to focus on growing our craft, and and we've been able to do that. We've got we've got over. Uh, 500 craft employees right now working at the company. Because you guys are from Cincinnati, are you guys union? No, we're not. We're not union. No. Okay. I just thought because, you know, the further north you go, the more, you know, further We that. were at one time, uh, and we dropped out of the union close to the same timing that we become an employee-owned company. Mm-hmm. So. Um, do you guys have a 10-year plan, or is it just you do it five-year increments? We do it. We do it in five-year increments. So we'll start thinking about that in a, in a couple of years. And uh, you know, I, I think really it's just focusing on continuing to grow and looking for those opportunities to, to allow everybody to keep growing. Part of this podcast podcast and the reason that we're doing this podcast is because we don't. There is nothing out there for construction executives to really talk with other people and get in. You know. Um, 
uh, hear from other people who are executives, but a big one is is people who want to get to that level. And if you want, you know, um, and, and you know, I know that you don't like talking about yourself, but I'm going to force you to talk about yourself. <laughs> um, what skills and ability do you have that has helped you get to where you're at today? Um, and uh, I always tell people, if somebody asked me to describe you, I'd be like, um, thoughtful is the thing that comes up in my mind. And the reason I say that is because you just don't spout off at the mouth about anything. You think about it before you mm-hmm. say it. And I think that's probably an important aspect of being a, you know, a good leader and growing in the industry. What skills and ability have you, do you think you have that have helped you, you know, move up within your organization? Yeah. And, you know, everybody's got different ways they do it, of course. And, um, you know, I, I, we had our, our uh, yearly region meeting a, a few weeks ago and Tom Kekas, who's retiring from the, as the CEO and president of the company, came down and just spent some time uh, setting and answering questions with mm-hmm. our region and he went to all the regions doing that. And, um, you know, when we ended the meeting, I got up and just spoke a little bit about Tom and, and we gave him a small gift and whatnot. But one thing I told him that I took from him and really from my dad was just treating people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's the way I, I watched Tom through his career really drive the company with that in mind. And so that's, so that's one. Um, I think hard work and just leading by example, mm-hmm. not asking people to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Uh, one of my personal traits is and something that's important to me is listening. Um, you know, sometimes executives aren't real good about that. They mm-hmm. like to be talking themselves. Uh, and I learn a lot by just listening to, to other people. There's, there's, you know, when you when you surround yourself with good people, you got to make sure you're listening to them. So that that's that's probably one. Um, building relationships is something that I've always focused on, and has always been something that uh, you know. I've, I use Berea College as an example there. You know, I, I was the first person that went down there and did a job. That was in 1990, and we're still on campus doing the work. Mm-hmm. We don't do all the work, but we do a good majority of their major work, and it's just about building relationships and giving back to the college and uh, uh, focusing on growth and making sure that you're growing people. Uh, is one that's important to our company and it's something that's important to me so making sure that you spend the time to do that and then probably the last one this may be one that that sometimes challenges me is just been open to change and as our company grows and has gotten bigger we we have a lot of changes and just making sure you're open to that it's tough for anybody everyone inherently people hate change (laughs) you know so i mean that's just yeah that's a challenge regardless what um, there is there's a book out there that I, I challenge the people in my company to read, and it's about it's about leadership in the construction world. And one of the things it said in there was, we promote people in construction um, not based on many of the soft skills that you need mm-hmm. to be an effective senior man- manager in an organization. And then they said the number one way people get into the C suite is technical skills. 
the number one way people get out of the C-suite or get fired out of the C-suite are soft skills. Huh. You know, and 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 that's what. And if you think about I can see that. when when yeah. you do, when you take a step back and you think about it, you think to yourself, how many people do you know that are the old school? Hey, do what I tell you to do, right. and very forceful type of people. But when you thrust them into a leadership position, that's just not what makes you successful yeah. in that position. Absolutely, I believe that one hundred percent. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and uh, and uh, and I, I I thought that was really interesting. It, it's like we all knew it. But yeah. to see it written down on paper was just uh, pretty incredible. So I, I think that we can always learn from uh, successes or failures. The first one I, I'll, I'll say is I think that you learn more from failures than you learn from your own successes. Mm-hmm. What were your, you know, what was some of your biggest failures uh, that you had that helped you kind of grow? I think, first of all, I think failures is a strong word. <laughs> Challenges, no. I'm probably changing it to challenges or key learnings. Uh, I think the first one for me early on was was quitting college, and you know that mm-hmm. was something that I learned. And thank goodness I had my dad that was a lot smarter than me at the time that that pushed me to get back in school. Um, and there's a few circumstances for I mentioned a while ago listening. Uh, that I, you know, younger in my career, that I probably learned the hard way as far as listening. I remember one real quick story, and it was actually on a Berea job. We used to build in the Seabury Center, the, the gymnasium down there, and we were struggling with cleanup. And it, I had a, a masonry contractor at the time, uh, just a, a heck of a guy that's now passed, uh, Houston Barger. Uh, I knew Houston. Yeah, you probably knew Houston. Yeah, but he came to me. He said. Mark, all you gotta do is relocate the dumpster and everybody will start cleaning up. I said, you, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I got the dumpster where the dumpster is. And I, I, I wouldn't listen to him and we struggled with cleanup all through that job till right at the end and then I finally listened to him and moved it and it did change. And, and that's a small example, but you know, when you got people that have been in the business a long time and just trying to, trying to learn from them. Um, and then another one, uh, and this goes back to a key learning from Tom Kekas again. Uh, it was just having high-level communication. <clears throat> and I remember his job, and this again was going back several years ago, but uh, I sent some back charges to several subcontractors mm-hmm. and had not communicated to them what those were for, and it was a tough situation. You know, that was a key learning for me. and. Tom was not a screamer or anything, and he came down and talked to me about that and said, you need to learn from this. You've got to talk to people and uh, communicate ahead of time and give them the chance to correct something before you go do it and, and then send them a bill for it. So that, that's a few that sort of popped That's on. That's really different than a lot of people would do. A lot of people just hit the enter key, key and send an email off with a back yeah. charge, you know? So, yeah. Um, what about successes? What successes have you helped that kind of helped, have helped you grow? Um, you know, I think the first one I would have to point out would be my family. Uh, you know, I've, I've been married uh, since 1982 to my wife, Annette. Uh, we sort of make decisions and do things together um, and have a lot of fun together. So uh, I've got a, a daughter. <clears throat> she lives in Louisville. It's getting ready to turn 30, which is unbelievable. Uh, but uh, she works for Willis Clients, very successful. And What's Willis Clients? What are they? What are they? They are a, they are a high-end uh, 
lighting, plumbing, fixture, door hardware company. Uh, they've mainly done a lot of very high-end residential uh, and have gotten recently into the commercial business. Mm. So they'll, they do doors and hardware. And, uh, do plumbing. they have like a catalog? Because mm-hmm. uh, I think I've seen them before. Yeah. yeah. They've yeah. actually got an office here in Lexington as well. But she's their business development type person, marketing type person in the local office. So, And then my son um, is still trying to figure out exactly. Well, he's figured out, I think, what he wanted to do. So he graduated from UK and something I told him he'd never be able to get a job in. But <laughs> he wasn't able to get a job in it. <laughs> So he went back to. Hey, remember your dad? Your dad also <laughs> told you they told you to go back to school. So that's right. <laughs> uh, so he went back to Eastern and is, is getting his master in safety engineering. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, he's he's done some co-ops and uh, is seemed to be really enjoying that and is starting to do some interviews and going to be doing an internship with us come January. But so. Uh, how old so, your how so you said your daughter was thirty your son is how old twenty three twenty three yeah. oh he's still learning he's yeah here. yeah you know well, twenty three a while so yeah he <laughs> comes by and on us you know I think the other one would would be just the growth of the company and we talked a little bit about that but watching us go from eighty a hundred million dollar company to one point two billion or where we're at today has been very exciting and me watching all the people especially here in Lexington mm-hmm. have grown in their career uh, it is pretty special uh, for sure when you when you when I it seems like you have a common thread there when we talk about different things and a lot of stuff come back to like family you know you met and one of the items that you came back and I know kind of what my father meant kind of meant to me mm-hmm. um, uh, can you tell me about your father a little bit you know yeah yeah um, he's He's someone that's very special to me, my mom and dad both. Uh, my dad was an extremely hard worker, so he w- he worked in the coal business mm-hmm. and uh, had a large farm and farm. So, uh, you know, he my mom probably spent more time making sure the kids was doing what they need to be mm-hmm. done just because my dad was so busy. And he grew up in a very poor family and was bound to determine that he was going to be successful and and be able to provide for his family and and he worked hard to make sure that he was able to do that and uh, and I saw that and watched that and I think that's where I got a lot of the traits I have today did he ever did he go to school did he go to college no he didn't. see that's incredible because yeah. I think that that for him to have the foresight mm-hmm. you know because I see a lot of people that say oh you don't need a college degree to do this or that. And, and you know, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, but some people who don't have an education will kind of use it as being saying, hey, you shouldn't do this because I didn't do it. Right. And uh, my father was the same way. He, he would say, you know what, you need to do better than I have done. Yeah. And so I may not have graduated college, but him to have the foresight not only to tell you to do it and help you, but to... Sell your truck. <laughs> force me to. Do it. He force you to do it. You know, so that's yeah. uh, that's pretty incredible. So, yeah. uh, um, so, uh, and then anybody who grows up in Corbin and mines for a living, they must have been a hardworking person. You know, so yeah, and we we did strip mining to work. Well, early on in his career, he did deep mining, so he did some a little bit of all of it, and just I mean, it was hard work. But you know, he'd come home from working. 10, 11 hours in the coal business and he still had cattle to feed and 
all that to do and uh, it was seven days a week so what's the one thing you remember more than anything about what your kind of what your dad taught you if you would say that hey my dad taught me taught me one thing that has really made a big impact on my life what would you say that thing is one would be put God first you know he's uh, very involved in and religious person and that happened late in his his life though it wasn't something he had even when I was uh, younger but it really struck me and then the other one would just be the hard work piece mm-hmm. of it uh, my wife could tell you that she spent many of dates in the hay fields uh, mm-hmm. and my dad <laughs> and she's still with you <laughs> And when we started dating, she lived in Cincinnati and I lived in Corbin. So, oh, wow. You know, she would come in once a month and it didn't matter. If it was time to put up hay, yeah. we was putting up hay and she was in the hay field with me. Let's get her in hay. So I, I think just the hard work piece of it, that he taught me that if you're going to be successful, you've got to be willing to work hard. And and the funny thing is, is that you mentioned this, and I think about this with my children. It's not so much what you say but it's what you do that is important because your kids will watch everything you do and if they find you being hypocritical they will point that out absolutely in a heartbeat (laughs) because you know i and 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 i guess it's the same kind of thing about leadership and in general people care a lot less what you say than what you do you know how you treat people and uh, i also heard people don't care uh you know who you are they care about uh, the way you make them, you, way they make you make them feel, you yeah. know, and because, uh, I, I mean, I grew up. My parents were janitors, and uh, um, hard work was a key factor of that. And uh, um, sometimes I wonder. I guess every generation says, "Hey, I wish the younger generation would learn that." And there is something to that because now you can. I was on my iPhone last night, and I can close my garage door opener, garage door from my iPhone now. Yeah, <laughs> I remember having to pull it down before, you know. So, oh, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, and that you know that one thing you said there, and we're going through our annual reviews right now with our senior management group. I've been meeting with each one of them, and they probably get tired of me saying this, but I I keep impressing on them of just how much younger people watch them. So how important it is, to your point, to be setting a good example, whether it's hard work and what time you come in or, you know, getting on your phone when somebody's talking mm. to you. There are a lot of different examples that, you know, people watch. And, and you know, it's funny you say that about the phone because I used to have a boss, which I thought, I still to this day, I, he just retired last year and uh, he was a very important figure in my my professional growth but one thing that he always did and i i learned from something he didn't do well you know it always says well you can't learn i think you can learn more from a poor leader than you can from a good one you know but in this case he was a good leader he just had a a couple things one of them was is the phone rang he couldn't deal with the fact the phone rang he'd have to pick it up so you'd sit there Mm. and he would pick the phone up and then it kind of gave you the impression that whoever was on that phone was more important than you were. Yeah, yeah. And that is uh, that's something I learned because now I... It's one of my pet peeves. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yeah. it, it, especially now with the ages that we're in where we walk around with our phones everywhere we are, you yeah, know? on your wrist. Oh, I know. Um, so uh, so what, what does the future hold for Messer uh, in general if you had to, like, cast a wide vision for Messer? Because you're at the you're at the tail end of your career. I yeah, mean, I've got six to eight years. Six so to eight years. 
But that'll be here before you know it. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. Six to eight years, and <laughs> it seems to speed up the older you get. I but, know it does. But, it does. I, you know, I think the sky's the limit for us. The way we're structured, um, the key for us is just keep getting good people, and then giving those people the opportunity to grow. And we have. I don't know what it is, but we we just really attract good people. And uh, you mentioned, and we've talked about this a lot in our executive meetings, of being some concern about the newer generation and job hopping and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And just how how will that affect Messer? Because we are structured around, you know, it needs to be a job for your career. If you're coming here, uh, if you're coming here to just be here two, three, five years, uh, there's probably companies out there who are going to pay you more. If you're coming here to be here for your career, you're going to leave here with with uh, a very good retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so us continuing to make sure people understand that is important, and we continue to get people to do. And so I think sky's the limit for us, really. Well, you don't find too many, honestly. Within I don't. There's not too many people I know that say, "Oh, I used to work for Messer." Yeah. I, I I talk to a lot of people and I, there's those are very far few between. Um, so um, if you were to give personal advice to anybody that is looking that wants to be a con- construction executive someday and wants to move to that level, um, what you know, what would you tell them? Um, and I and I think this is a good one because you gave a presentation at a, uh, when you were awarded uh, an award at our, our, our EKU's construction management mm-hmm. banquet, and I thought you had a lot of good points there. And I thought I'd ask you that because um, the people listening to this are those type of people, you mm-hmm. know, um, not only your peers but you know junior people that really aspire to do that. So yeah. what would you what would you advice you would give them? Well, the problem with this one is it's probably going to be the same answer that I gave a while ago. Uh, but I think just being willing to work hard mm-hmm. is first and foremost. Um, and really being conscious about how you're, going, you're treating your people, surrounding your people or yourself with, with mm-hmm. good folks. Um, listening. Is, I talked a lot about that mm-hmm. at the EKU Banquet, just how important I think that is. and. Uh, you know, there's. I think there's some people that don't understand how important that is. Uh, what we touched on all ago of just you know really recognizing how much people watch you, so making sure that you're setting a good example and uh, and you know it, it. It's you got you got to understand that it's not going to come just all of a sudden. That it is. It does take hard work and it takes time. Uh, but if you're willing to put in the hard work, the reward is there. You know, mm-hmm. to, to drive past some of the projects that I've been involved in, I mean, it makes you proud to be a part of those. And that's the exciting thing, I think, about construction. I like it because it's like you're able to be your own, almost your own business owner. I always say yeah. you're the CEO of that project. Yeah. And that is so unique that we get that, you know, we always have to, re- obviously, Ultimately, we have to report back to somebody, no matter if you're the CEO oh, or not. But yeah. but the fact that at a young age you can be put in charge of a job and the destiny of that project really depends upon you, you know, yeah. and uh, what you do with your time and your resources, and uh, yeah. that is a pretty exciting thing. You know, one example of that, and I'm a huge UK basketball fan. Mm-hmm. I have been all my life. Well, we got the opportunity to build a Joe Craft 
practice facility. Mm -hmm. And now we just got the opportunity to renovate Rupp Arena and, and build it to the convention center. And that's pretty special to me that I'm part of that. With well, oh, absolutely. Those are yeah. one of those projects in your career that you are you highlight that is yeah. a um, it is. I mean, especially in this area because people. I mean. It's the blue blood in this area is uh, is very very important to a lot of people yeah. you know yeah. i wasn't a ba college basketball fan until i moved here 12 years ago and um it, being part of uk's just the atmosphere is yeah. just infectious you know it, it really, really is. is so really is. um so I'm, I'm gonna do like a quick hit hitter <clears throat> thing for you i'm gonna state a few topics a uh, few different areas in construction and i want you to give me the importance from a one to ten scale um, you know, one being the least and ten being the greatest, right? How important it is in doing your job. So if you say all ten, I know that <laughs> they're all. But I'm just gonna. This is kind of a quick hitter. Scheduling. I've got that rated as a nine. Okay. Maybe it probably could be a ten. I mean, it it drives almost everything. Yeah. Estimating. Eight. I've got that as an eight. Yeah. Uh, contract administration. I've got that as a nine, and that might surprise a few people, but the the larger, more complicated jobs you get on, that is so, so important. Mm -hmm. Design. I've got that as a six, just because mm -hmm. we don't do a ton of design mm -hmm. builds. So. Uh, contracts. Eight. Uh, accounting. Seven. I think that's important. And leadership. I've got that as a ten. I think leadership is... is the most important thing that you've got to have on your job site. And, you know, it's great to hear you you, you say that because uh, there was a research study done that I happened to be at the presentation from, from a professor from the University of Alabama, and he did uh, what are employers looking for, you know? What's the most important things employers are looking for? And I thought it would have been technical skills. I thought it would be, you know, scheduling or, you know, doing stuff with your hands or administration or this or that and in the end we found out it was all those soft skills it's mm -hmm. listening uh communicating effectively um and uh i was really surprised by that initially but then i thought i sat back and thought about it and i thought well, you know you can teach somebody to schedule absolutely you know yeah. it's much more difficult to teach them to communicate effectively yeah. and I, maybe that's the reason we're having such success of hiring good people because mm -hmm. we really put a focus on during interviews of how important the soft skills piece of it is well mark i appreciate you you meeting with me today um i do want to give you an opportunity to say anything that we haven't we have you haven't already said um so you got anything else you'd like to like to say you gotta say you gotta say something to your wife because you've been married for what thirty some odd years. So, well, uh, she's the most important person to me by far, and uh, again, we are extremely close. I still bounce off ideas for whether they're about work or personal or whatever um, every day, and, you know, and we're very close. So, I definitely appreciate her. She's she's. She's the driver of me and a very important person for me. And that brings up a good, uh, you know, I, it's a hard thing in today's culture to find somebody like yourself that has been married mm -hmm. for the length of time you have. But um, to me, it, it, that there's a lot to be said about that. That's something I always admired 
you know, uh, is we have somebody who stayed together for a long time because that shows a lot of characteristics. Like, you know, it's not fun being married every day. <laughs> oh, no. And if my wife hears this, it's, nah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that to be mean. <laughs> but it's not fun to be married every single day. You don't want to be married every day. But it's, it's a lot work. of work. And and you, you, you really have to – I always say marriage – boils down to one word and one word only and that's commitment you know and uh, we've gone through breast cancer with my wife uh, loss of my leg three children which is probably greater than those other two (laughs) you know um but those kind of things is just getting through those things you got to really have a commitment to each other and um and so many people want to run away and if if you want to be successful you need to have somebody by your side because if you don't have that, I don't know how you how, you, and then at the end you can be successful and not have somebody by your side and it's worth nothing. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with that. So. And I'll, I'll end with maybe our purpose statement. Mm-hmm. Our purpose statements to build better lives for our customers, communities, and each other. And to me, that says everything about Messer. And it's exciting. You know, we about. 80% of our work is repeat customers, so that says a lot. That you know, does I mentioned earlier $2 million that we've given to our communities, and then just watching the people grow, as I've mentioned, our company and making sure. And I think the, the employee ownership thing is what makes that special. You know, there's nobody out there trying to do better for themselves. They know if they do good, and share their learnings that everybody's going to win. So. Absolutely. And that's unique in the culture we live in yeah. in general. So I, I want to thank you, Mark, once again. I mean, I, I count you as a friend. I, I thought about how long have I known Mark? I said at least 10 years, <laughs> if not yeah. for the probably the first two or three years. I never thought you talked. No, I'm just joking because we were in <laughs> meetings and, and, uh, and you, like I said, you're a thoughtful the person so you don't want to blurt out and say something so you normally think about it before you say it uh, unlike myself uh so uh <laughs> but uh but i want to thank you i really want to thank you uh you thank you, you you um personally um uh, i've learned a lot from you and uh, i can say that uh eku has really benefited from your participation i you've made some good recommendations i really have changed it uh and messer as a, as a company i can say that we've had many many students that graduated from eastern and many 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 people I know graduated from Eastern uh, that have had success, successful careers uh, really because they were able to get part of your organization. I mean, I no. I have not, and I'm not saying this because we're on a podcast together, but the truth is is that I don't know anybody that has graduated from Eastern that went to work for Messer that would ever badmouth or say anything bad about Messer. All I ever hear is that Messer is a great organization, we have a mission, uh, you know, talk about being better, and it's that ownership piece of it is a big, big deal because it's they're talking about it like it's their own company. And it is, you know, yeah. and it is, you know. So that's Absolutely. so. Uh, I thought that was that was before I even knew that you guys were an employee-owned company. Yeah. I thought that was significant. Yeah. So I want to thank you. Uh, our next podcast we have coming up for Conex is going to be David Dean from Dean Builds here in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, once again, Mark, thank you so much, thank and you. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thank mm-hmm. you.